Cam, I cannot believe she did not agree with me. Oh my gosh, did it make you angry? Well, yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cam, holistic health coach, mom to two humans and four pets. Hi, I'm Amelia, laboratory scientist by day and food scientist by night. Welcome to our show. Join us as we share our holistic approach to life after 50. You can expect real life stories with a dash of humor and a ton of truth. If it happens in midlife, we're going to talk about it. So hit that subscribe button and follow along. We're the Midlife Mamas. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, we are talking about righteous indignation today. And is that your favorite negative emotion? So first of all, Cam, I want to unpack what this means. And I'm going to just kind of throw out some questions of how this kind of manifests for, for different people. An example would be if you get angry when people don't see your point of view and then you hold it against them. Um, when you feel slighted, when others say something disparaging about someone you love, or do you harbor unconscious bias against people that you don't understand or agree with? So those are just some examples of righteous indignation. And I feel like it might be a little bit difficult to grasp, but I'll kind of dumb it down to say being angry about something you can't control. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I, all I think of is, oh, what's your cortisol doing? <laughs> oh, 100, 100%. And, you know, I will share the, re- the reason that I wanted to record this episode is over wedding planning. And some people didn't get invited because we had to cut it off. And the fact that we have done so much for these people and their family, and then they got very upset when it wasn't directed against them, you know, It wasn't like everybody in the world got invited and they didn't. Mm -hmm. So it just created all of this just chaotic emotion, Cam. And I was just like, I think we need to talk about this. I think we need to talk about this from the perspective of processing negative emotion. Totally. And let's back it up for a minute. Why were you wedding planning? Because we haven't talked about this. (laughs) Well, you're right. So my daughter got married and she has been living with her boyfriend for a couple of years. This was quick, but not for any nefarious reason. It's just that they're professionals and they wanted to, quote, have it done with. And honestly, we said go to the justice of the peace. But some other family members said they really wanted some way to help celebrate. So yeah. So and from my understanding, from people I've talked to, to weddings, baptisms, graduations, even little kid birthday parties can generate a lot of these weird family dynamics. Yeah. So they just reared their ugly head (laughs) during this wedding time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so what the way I was trying to process cam was it was kind of a, a two, a double negative, if you will. These family members got offended that they weren't invited. And then I got mad at them for being mad. And it was just this vicious cycle. And so I don't think I'm alone in this, that we can be angry at people because of their emotions. And it just creates this awful cycle of negativity. Yeah. So how did you get out of it? So how did you resolve this negative feeling? Well, that's a really good question. And I think part of it is just being okay with the negativity at the moment and telling myself I can't change other people. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, 
you know, we all, I think, to a certain extent, we all want people to understand us and validate us in some way. And maybe it's just because I'm an Enneagram three and I crave that attention. But there are just times where that's just not possible. You just truly do not understand the way someone else thinks. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And I, I can't, I, you know, my son is married, so we're both in-laws now. Woohoo, we're mother-in-laws. I know. <laughs> Exciting. Um, yeah, so I there was no drama around my son's wedding. But I, what I can think, I can go back to like uh, when I was teaching in the classroom or different things that would happen at the CrossFit gym where there were groups of people that w- would exclude other groups of people. And mm-hmm. I remember being angry about that just because it was a small community and everyone needed to be included or no one needed to be included. That was kind of my social justice at the time. Sure. And I mean, I, here's another example because we're both really into health and wellness. Do you have people in your life, especially family, let's just keep it kind of centered there, who maybe don't take care of their health and you think it's so simple to make those changes and they don't. Does that make you angry? Um, yeah. So I've been ha- having this ongoing conversation with my father. He decided he's not going to eat carbs or very few carbs. I think I've talked about this before. Yeah, you have. Yeah. And he's going home, walking to Whole Foods and walking back and he's getting tired and dizzy and he has to sit down and the stuff like this. And I'm like, well, it's because you're not eating carbs, dad. You need to eat some carbs. And so, um, you know, we went through all the macronutrients and all the basics and we take things for granted. And I, I had an Instagram coach years ago. She's actually a physical therapist and then she's became an Instagram coach. Anyway, she would always say it's new to someone. It's always mm. new to somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to remember that it's always new to somebody and it gives you more grace and insight and understanding about that person that, yeah, they might need to eat carbs or whatever. It's new to somebody. And so I think that just kind of gave me more acceptance of mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I can be the teacher. I can help them with this. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I, I really, really love that because my family members that got offended about the wedding thing were older. And so they failed to realize that what is important to millennials as far as wedding, and this could be pick pick another, whether it's graduation or birthday or where you live or your career, whatever, millennials, ideals. And I think we've talked about this, what they value is different. And so literally these older people were like, well, she didn't even pick out a China pattern. And I just want to <laughs> bust out laughing. I'm like, are you serious right now? Like, Kids don't, I mean, I don't, I don't use mine. So, you know, I don't either. (laughs) Right. Like understanding (laughs) that these people think this is odd um, or why don't they value this? Trying to explain that is almost impossible because it's a value that they have that kids don't or we don't or whatever. And, you know, I guess the glaring, another glaring one for me is people that don't take care of their health because I just don't understand. There's so much information about health and wellness and, we'll kind of skip back a few years. I remember probably 20 years ago, Cam, when I was younger and I went to a lot of uh, like baby showers and I was really peculiar about what I ate and I would really get teased about, oh, eat the cake, eat the chips, eat the this and that. You're thin. And what I wanted to say was, well, why do you think I'm thin? Like I don't eat the (laughs) chips. So, you know, stuff like that where you have a fundamental disagreement with the way someone lives or values is the biggest pitfall. 
Yeah, so I would be I would be over there tasting everything, but I wouldn't eat it all. <laughs> I would taste I it. I love all. it. When we meet in real life, Amelia, I hope I don't disappoint you. <laughs> no, not at all. And you know, I have mellowed a lot. I will okay. say, I have I have a really good friend, and she still laughs about the fact that when we were in, well, she was in her thirties, and I might have been in my late twenties. She was like, "Oh my god, I hated going out to eat with you because you ordered everything separately and on the side <laughs> and without this or that." So I've mellowed about that. But Cam, I have really pondered this feeling of being affronted or angry. Um, why does this happen? And do you think some of us are just wired to feel that way? Or do you think it's learned? I've, I, you know, if you want to look at it from the Enneagram point of view, I think it's maybe that's just who we are. So mm-hmm. as an Enneagram one, I'm always looking inward and I'm always very self-critical. And so my like default when I'm in not my highest self is righteous anger, but it's towards myself, not towards others. And so I remember specifically being angry at other people, like, you know, going through a separation, divorce, there was some ugly, um, BS that happened in my life during that time period. And I was angry. So I remember feeling that and like, this isn't right. And the, you know, all the moral, um, I took the moral high road. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I remember those feelings, but in general, the anger is towards myself. It's trying to be, keep everything going and, you know, trying to do it the best I can for myself. If that makes any sense. It, it does. So like during the divorce period, were you angry at yourself because you thought you could have done something to prevent it or you wanted other people to think you were right and your ex was wrong? No, I was mad at him, completely mad at him, disappointed, all the all the angry things. Okay. Um, and then I think part of it is like living in a small community and just who I was. I made it look shiny on the outside and it was rotten to the core on the inside. Mm. So there was a lot of that. And then, then I've talked about this and went into a shame thing. <laughs> and now I've reconnected with so many girlfriends during my early forties. And it's such a good thing. I'm so glad, you know, I'm 54 now. I'm so glad that I'm past that and we can hang out. Um, yeah, we're going, we're going hiking and camping for three days in June. Like I, it just feels so good to be reconnected and get rid of that shame. Right. And I mean, you know, ultimately, we're not responsible for other people's actions. So I think that that what you're describing sounds to me like a normal progression. And you must have come to a point where you're like, I can only do me. And people probably know what kind of crap he pulled. You know what I mean? Like they could see the difference. Yeah. And and for many times, I felt like the more words I used to explain how I was feeling, it just didn't work. I just let it, I just let it play out. I did recently find a journal, um, from that ugly time period of 2009. And I was like, Whoa, Cam, you had some emotions, girl. And I was writing them all out. And so it was interesting to reread those words and not feel a charge, but it was basically, I am worthy. I am, you know, I am lovable. And it was just like, talking myself up. Now, did I believe it in those dark days? Uh, No, (laughs) but I was hopefully planting some seeds and hopefully it's blossomed now, you know, down the road. (laughs) I think that's a really good point because one of my other theories about this righteous indignation or anger that we feel towards others is it comes from a, a lack of confidence or insecurity. You know, that's very possible. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You know, when you think you have this marriage, I really thought we had like a strong marriage. We had two kids, all the things and the house. We didn't have a dog at the time, but you know what the whole, the whole 
American picture, right? Sure. And and then I was blindsided. I was blindsided the year I turned 40. And um, just what I thought was real, what I thought was stable wasn't true. And that's really hard to swallow. Sure. It kind of, it kind of feel, I mean, I can only imagine that it felt like the rug was just kind of pulled out from under you. (laughs) Totally. I totally. And that was the year I left teaching. I left the classroom at the end, like May of 2009, because I just, April, May, I was not really functioning at that time. (laughs) I was, I don't know what I was doing, but um, just barely putting one foot in front of the other. So that was really the darkest days of my life. Those like those months, March, April of 2009. Yeah. Wow. And that's obviously a time that's seared in your memory because you can spout off that time frame pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I left my teaching career. Like I, I couldn't figure out anything. I'm like, I can't. After 18 years, I had to leave the classroom just to figure out my stuff. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, it kind of that's a, another question I have is talking about, you know, why why we care what other people think. And I'll get back to that. But the but leading up to that, just kind of going back to being almost non-functional when my dad was really sick and this is kind of sidestepping a little bit, but we're talking about process and negativity. And obviously when your parent is dying, there's a lot of to process, but I stopped, even though I was in a brand new job at the time, I stopped caring how my job performance was. And as an Enneagram three, which is a performer, that's kind of a huge statement to be like, I was barely functioning. So I think sometimes when we're processing, especially difficulties or negativity, we do reach a point where really nothing else matters. But for me, I got to get way down the bottom of the barrel to reach that point. Cause otherwise, you know, I feel like I'm pretty high functioning and, um, I, but, but, Again, I feel like if it gets bad enough, you you just kind of let all of the crap just go away because you have no choice. It's all about survival. It is. And then in 2009, so that was nine, 2010 is when I started exercising. <laughs> I started CrossFitting. And that was a more productive way to like sure. get in my body versus my mind. And so you know the rest of that story. But that's how, that's the timeline. That's how I ended up there why do we care what other people think? And one of the things came about that is I was talking with my husband about this recently, you know, the whole do unto others as you would have them do unto you kind of proverb. Um, But that assumes we care what other people think if we want to reciprocal action. And so we really unpack that together only to discover for him he doesn't care what everyone thinks, but he does care about what some people think. And I'm just curious if you have a thought on that. That's very interesting. And right between our numbers is number two on the Enneagram, and they're the helpers. And they like to do things for other people and expect something in return when they're unhealthy. I will say that. That's not always their emotive. But there are people in life. Can you think of somebody that if you do something, they keep the score and they, (laughs) yeah. So they're probably a number two on the unhealthy side. So I have a one with a two wing, which means I have some of that. I want to help people. That's what I want to do. So I guess... I guess it does matter. Some people, it does matter. Like I'm on the internet with no makeup on many times. So like I learned not to care. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't think it has to be an all or nothing. I mean, I think for, for people, there are naturally people in our lives that we respect, whether it's our parents or a teacher that we do think we do care what they think, but the vast majority of people we interact with 
on a casual basis, maybe we shouldn't care. You know what I mean? Or at least care so much. So this righteous anger or indignation, I think that plays into uh, when you think, why are you angry at someone else? Why do you care that they have a feeling about something you said or you did? So I've kind of twisted that around in my brain, too, to see whether or not there's some validity in analyzing who are the people that I care what they think about my actions mm-hmm. or words. Yeah, I definitely think the list has gotten shorter, shorter as I've gotten older, like, because is that our midlife awakening, Amelia? Like, who, you know... I who hope. really it, yeah. who really matters at the end of the day? Who really matters? That's who matters. <laughs> that little list. <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. And the funny thing is, is I think the more you actually tell yourself in a healthy way, I don't care what others think, the more confident you are and the kinder you are and the more empathetic you are because you're not worried about what they think. You're just doing what you think uh-huh, is right. Right. Totally. And I want to know still how you got over this What was your process? How did you get past this issue with your daughter's wedding and the family? Yeah, that's a good question. It took weeks, Um, not tears, but some not not fighting words with my spouse, but definitely we were both processing at the same time. And I would say things like, I don't understand why these people are acting like this. And he would say, I don't either. But it was a, it was tense because he was trying to process it as well. So in the end, I kept telling myself they don't know any better. And I got to be honest, Cam, I used to work with a woman years ago, more than 20 years ago, and she would, excuse my French, piss me off all the time. And um, I remember way back then, my husband would say, you think about a snake. A snake doesn't know what it's doing. And it it will bite you, but it doesn't know better. And so when we encounter people that over and over hurt our feelings or say things, or we feel affronted, we kind of, what's helped me is to be more like a pitying thing, like they don't know better. And so I don't really know if that's appropriate or healthy, but it did help me. And the other thing is just to say, I did what I thought was best. And I supported my daughter and her decisions. And she could not invite all of the family. She just couldn't. It just, it was, it was a very small venue. I mean, the people that were there barely fit. And it was planned in a matter of weeks, not months or years. So I guess the processing was a lot of self-talk. That's kind of the bottom line. Bottom line. Yeah. And whenever something comes up, and we've mentioned this before, when something comes up that ruffles your feathers or whatever, or even if you appreciate something in someone else, it's because it exists within you. And so were you able to like identify in yourself? Like what, what was it? Do you know? Oh, what? I don't know that I under I identified what it was, uh-huh. Cam, but I definitely recognized this as something I had a problem with. And so one of the things I pulled on during this time, it's kind of weird, is uh, the four agreements about don't make assumptions. Because we frame things up in our minds about how things should be based on assumptions that may be false. So that really helped a lot, too, to, to say to myself, I'm assuming that a situation is a certain way or that they think a certain way or that they will react or did react based on some set of beliefs. But I don't really know because that wasn't explicitly stated. Right. And, you know, when you went back to the silverware and they didn't pick out their china, like you're dealing with it. I know, right? Like, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Then I'm a little bit more aware of what I'm dealing with. But, um, Uh you know, and 
Obviously, don't take things personally. Another one of the form agreements is very much at play. But I think the one about don't make assumptions was even more helpful because it let me unpack a very tense, tight situation into something that was just less inflammatory. Good. So do you, there's, is the charge still there or do you feel like it's resolved itself somehow? Um, I feel like, so if the initial situation was like a bonfire, now it's just this tiny flame. If I fan it and think negative thoughts, I could fan it back into this huge fire. But as long as I'm like, Oh, it's let's fine. talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, seriously, because taking your thoughts to court is a theme on this podcast. And so if you blew a little wind on that fire, what Mm -hmm. could happen? (laughs) Well, you know, I would I would end up resenting these family members. And that's no good. I mean, I don't want to live a life where I go visit people or they come to visit me and there's some sort of underlying resentment or bitterness. And let's face it, it happens with families all the time. I talk to people that go months or years years without talking to certain family members over something petty. And I don't want to be that person, Cam. I mean, that's that whole looking in the mirror. I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like the charge is gone. The flame is small. <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, that's I would a good agree. Thing. I would definitely agree. And just being around them I was around these people some since the wedding and it was fine. Like I practiced being nice and cordial and giving and accepting and that, you know, and this happens a lot. Um, they reciprocated in kind. So when we feel this righteous anger or indignation or whatever, a lot of times these emotions are mirrored in other people. So if we set out, to, and we're very defensive, people will be defensive back. But if we're open, I think more people will be open and honest and empathetic and kind back. Totally agree with that. And what you saying the word being defensive, I remember recall specifically being defensive during the separation divorce time. I was just like, you look at me the wrong way, I might explode kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, sure. That kind of situation. And- right. And I think shame or or insecurity is a huge part of that defensiveness. I've been accused of being defensive, and I don't mean to be. And it's a un, it's unattractive. It really is. And mm-hmm. I, I'm more confident than that kind of display shows. So, but it can be an effort. It really can because there are certain people, and most of them have been coworkers. I got to be honest, mm-hmm. have really triggered me in a way. And I'm like, oh, got got to let that go. Got to let it go because it's just like raising your cortisol. <laughs> we don't want that. Sure, certainly, <laughs> right. absolutely, a hundred percent. So, one of the other things we've talked about, you know, talking to ourselves as far as trying to remedy this and taking your calls thoughts to court. But one of the best ones is this, the the idea of practicing gratitude. And I feel like you do that so much better than most. Uh, again, it was a flashback to 2009. That journal I found recently um, had some of my gratitude journals after my son was born. I was I probably had postpartum depression. It wasn't wow. a thing then. But when I look back in that journal where I was striving to write five positive things, it was, yeah. Um, so yes, I was looking for gratitude during those dark days for sure. Uh-huh. And when you, when you read that stuff, could you, not that it would would spark into a fire again of emotion. But did you have a sense of, oh, wow, I was, 
almost like a reminiscent feeling of what it felt like back then. You know, there wasn't a charge when I read it, but I just wanted to love and hug her because she was sad and lonely. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Oh, my gosh. So I felt empathy for her because we, I mean, I've been through some stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So I just felt empathy oh. for her and like the smallest things that made the the five things. It was when Oprah had her gratitude journal situation going on. Mm-hmm. That's when this was happening. And just write five things. And some days it was a struggle to write five things. And then I skipped a whole bunch of years. And then there were when I was um, expecting my daughter. So that was 1999. I again started the five gratitude things and like baby kicks. That was really awesome. That was made the oh. that made the list. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was really struggling, Amelia. <laughs> it was dark. <laughs> I can see that. And I've I've done the gratitude journal thing on and off myself. And I have had days. And then some of the feelings that kind of are in this circular negativity is why am I not feeling grateful when I have such a great life? There's so many people that have so little. And even if you put down every day, the sun came up this morning or the cup of coffee you got to drink or whatever, that one thing that just kind of set, you're just grateful for that one thing. I think it, it will eventually cascade on itself. And gratitude is something I found can really short circuit negative emotion. Totally agree with it. And also you're being present to the present versus mm-hmm. being stuck in the past. There's nothing worse than getting like reminiscing all these negative thoughts, the things that happened in the past. You cannot change those. No matter how hard you think about them, (laughs) you're not going to change them. All you're doing is messing up right now. And I think that's really important to find the gratitude and just slow down. I feel like slowing down was a big deal. Um, Leaving the classroom. I feel like when I was a teacher, I was just go, go, go. We couldn't eat lunch. We couldn't go to the bathroom. Like there was no, no joy in, in like personal things. Um, And as soon as I left the classroom, there was more space for, for me, more space to be present for me anyway. (laughs) That is so good. And I love what you said about um, living in the past because this righteous anger is necessarily in the past because someone has said something to you that's made you angry and then you, then you felt affronted or whatever that's in the past and if if you really think about it the whole concept of turn the other cheek is kind of a being in the present and just letting it go now i'm not there's there's certainly situations where negative things abusive situations obviously we you can't let that go you know verbal abuse or emotional abuse whatever but some small slight who gives a crap like if someone i mean my husband kids all the time his friends make fun of him cuz he's late he has a tough time with punctuality and i dislike that but In 40 years, I've not been able to change it. And by and large, if it's important, he'll be there. But he really does not care. If they kid him about, oh, yeah, you know, it's on his time, you know, that he's always late. (laughs) He honestly takes that ribbing and doesn't care. Mm -hmm. So when you're super sensitive about things like that, it can really develop into some resentment and bitterness. And we got to learn how to let that crap go. Oh, totally. I could see that. If that was something he was trying to change about himself and he just wasn't Mm -hmm. and it could get under his skin. We have a cat. His name's Simon. He's fat and he's just does not care. And we always, (laughs) I mean, we probably think he's a hippie cat. Anyway, 
anyway, I don't think he does drugs, but he could have. <laughs> He's just really laid back and he has been that way since he was a kitten. And I, Dan and I always joke, we just need to be more like Simon. He just yeah. literally doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could say, what would Simon do? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> he would roll over and he would meow and he would just be real slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We need to be more like Simon. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, kind of to wrap up, there is a balance, you know, obviously won't, we want to care about our lives, our friends, our people, but not to the point where everything they do gets us wrapped around the, the axle. And besides practicing gratitude, I think the favorite, my favorite thing that you said was live in the present because that's all you have. Thanks for listening today. You can find us on Instagram at midlife.mamas. For all of our other contact info, check out the show description below, and we will talk to you next week.